Hi, I'm Zach Tydek. I'm the CTO at Vecna Robotics. And to me, automation is the answer. The question, and this question that a lot of folks are asking right about now is, how do we make our supply chain resilient? How do we deal with increasing consumer demands, um, constant pressures on costs, and all kinds of labor issues from, from shortage of labor to retention and satisfaction of employees? I feel like automation is really the key to answering that question. Fortunately, many of us have never had the experience of going to the grocery store and seeing empty shelves until now. Vecna Robotics is a technology leader in automated material handling, and their team is tackling this problem head-on in new and innovative ways. Welcome to This is Automation. I'm your host, Corey Dallas, and today we have a special guest with us to talk about those topics and more. We have Zach Didek, the CTO at Vecna Robotics. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can you uh, start off just telling us uh, where you're from? Sure. Yeah, I, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and and uh, definitely missing the the food from back home. Uh, now I'm up in Boston. A little bit harder to get good Tex-Mex up here. And so you grew up in Austin, Texas, you said. Yep. And um, did you go to school there, or what was your uh, educational no. background? Yeah, I I left uh, for school. I went to Caltech. Uh, get a bachelor's of science uh, out in California, and uh, and after that I went to MIT uh, for the master's of science and the PhD, uh, all those in mechanical engineering. Tell me how how you went from you know all those mechanical engineering degrees to Vecna Robotics. Tell me a little bit about that transition. Yeah, well, um, Vecna Robotics, uh, you know, being close to MIT, you know, definitely had a lot of presence on campus. Uh, so career fairs. Uh, were kind of ever-present, the, the free Vecna t-shirts that the uh, students were wearing. Um, so I was very familiar with them. Um, and uh, one day I saw a kind of informational seminar uh, with Daniel Theobald, the CEO of Vecna Robotics, and uh, you know, was just kind of captivated by his vision uh, for the company and where he wanted to take it. I thought it was really unique uh, and, and obviously very interesting. I've I've been at Vecna since then uh, for the last 10 years or so. So tell me, uh, kind of as a transition into learning more about Vecna, tell me about what was so interesting to you uh, when you heard Daniel uh, talking about Vecna. Yeah, well, one, one of the things was that, you know, his vision was to be the world leader in robotics by 2050. Uh, that's, you know, uh, that was in 2010. So that was a 40-year vision. Uh, and... You know, when I was looking at other companies, you know, concerned about you know next next quarter's profit margins and and stuff like that, uh, you know, it was pretty refreshing to have that that kind of long term vision, um, you know, and it's the right vision to have with something as complex as robotics. So I appreciated that. Absolutely. So tell me, you know, what is Vecna Robotics? What kind of robotics? Are you guys involved with it's it's kind of a broad term you know when you say robotics it may uh, bring different things to mind for different people yeah so i i classify us in the advanced robotics um field this is kind of what they call it um wherein we make our robots behave more like people um 
make them smarter, make them more capable. Um, but Vecna does a lot more than just build robots. Um, we also work on the software that coordinates robots and people, uh, vitally important um, you know, for, for warehouses and manufacturing facilities. And uh, we build a lot of user interfaces as well. So hopefully we'll have some time to talk about that today. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, an interesting transition. You know, when I was reading about some of the, the vision statements that Vecna has on the website, one of those is a statement about workflows over robots. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, we're in an interesting time right now in robotics where it kind of mirrors the, the computer industry um, from, from decades ago where, you know, initially the hardware was the king, right? You had the IBM mainframes and that was the, you know, the big deal was getting the, the hardware right. Uh, robotics was the same way initially where, you know, people would just talk about how great their robot was. You know, they have, you know, these, these great, um, you know, harmonic drive motors that, you know, make it better or, you know, serial elastic actuators or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and now we're trying to transitioning to this new period for robotics, similar to what happened with computers where software is, is really the king and process. And so now, you know, hardware is more of a commodity and the industry is focusing on you know, developing software that provides real value. Uh, and that's what our, that's what our customers are looking for. Let's start talking about hybrid fulfillment. You know, a lot of people have these grandiose ideas of automated material handling. And I know Vecna is involved in that stuff as well, but I think less people really understand how important the role of hybrid fulfillment is. Um, can you, can you tell us what that is and then why, why it's so important? Yeah. So in a hybrid fulfillment model, uh, you have people and you have robots and they're, they're sharing the work in some way. Um, you know, right, right now, you know, up, up until recently, the robots were kind of in their part of the facility, right? And the people were, were over here. Often the robots were in cages, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, with with the, the arms and stuff in, in the automotive industry. But, you know, the robots have left the cages now, right? They're, they're there with the people uh, and they're doing meaningful work alongside people, uh, which is, you know, very interesting, very challenging. Uh, a lot of kind of intricacies with that. Uh, that you didn't have to solve when, when things were separate. Um, but it also allows for some, some you know, breakthrough developments in terms of maximizing the potential of the robot part of the system and the, the person part of the system. They're very different, right? They have different strengths, different weaknesses. So being able to capitalize on those differences, um, you know, using the right, the right agent for the right task you know, it's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Yeah. And, and is that, am I correct in saying that that would be the concept of orchestration that you're talking about? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and the, the analogy is, is pretty good. I think, you know, in an orchestra, you know, each there's, there's a bunch of different parts, right? I'm not a musician, but I know this <laughs> much, right? <laughs> you got the woodwinds and the whatever. Uh, so everyone's kind of doing their thing, um, but they have to be coordinated right? Otherwise it just is noise. Uh, but when that coordination happens uh, properly, uh, you get something greater than the sum of the parts, right? And that's the same idea that we have with robotics. Uh, you know, we don't aim to eliminate people from uh, these, these workflows. 
Uh, we aim to use the people at what the people are good at and use the robots at what the robots are good at. And we feel that and we've got evidence that, uh, you know, when you do that, you're able to achieve you know, much greater gains than, than focusing on just one area or the other. And Vecna's hybrid fulfillment solution, the orchestration engine is this system called Pivotal. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So tell me a little bit about Pivotal and kind of uh, what what is really driving it in helping to to you know handle what what is a presumably very complex task of making sure that like you said the right agents are performing the right tasks at the right time. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's an AI based system. Uh, it's doing a lot of reasoning. Uh, it's looking at all of the the resources it has to get the work done. Um, I call them agents. It's kind of a broad term. Uh, you'll, you'll probably hear me using that term a lot. Uh, it could be robots, could be people. Mm -hmm. uh, robots could be Vecna robots. They could be robots from a different vendor. Um, but ultimately, they all need to work together to, to, to do whatever task it is. And, and you know, in the modern warehouse, uh, there are many different tasks uh, require many different form factors of of, you know, platforms, uh, robots can address some of those challenges. People are better at addressing other challenges. So being able to uh, learn which resource, uh, which agent is best to address which challenge and to uh, keep everything moving, uh, you know, in an optimal way. That's sort of the goal for Pivotal. You said something that kind of piqued my interest there. You said like learning. When you say learning, is that like a machine learning function that the system is actively trying to optimize how it's assigning these agents? Because you know something else I'd be interested to hear you speak to is that I think a lot of people may be thinking, well, clearly a human is good at this task and a robot is good at this task. Why is this really a hard problem to solve? Can you explain that a little bit better? Yeah, uh, you know, there, there are parts of the problem that are easy, um, but the devil's in the details, mm -hmm. right? Um, as, as always, um, you have to do some learning to understand the performance models for mm -hmm. the different agents, right? Um, you can say people are good at X, you know, but what does that actually mean? How much better are they? Because you have to make these kind of trade-offs when you do the optimization, right? You're solving, uh, you know, an NP hard combinatorial optimization problem Mm -hmm. um, and you have to know, you know very precisely uh, you know, what the inputs to that problem are to get a good result. Uh, so we do a lot of work on, on that part of the problem. Not going to go into too much more detail than that. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, keep the secret sauce uh, secret, but uh, hopefully that gives you an idea. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll, I'll tempt fate by asking you one more uh, semi-technical question. You, you mentioned um, that the system can support non-Vecna uh, robots. Can you explain that a little more? Are you able to just generalize the behavior of a robot? Like to, to, to Pivotal, is a robot just a, a generic robot or is there really a difference in the way it communicates with a Vecna system versus a third-party system? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm actually working with uh, Mass Robotics, which is a, a, a local uh, industry group that's focused on startups and focused on the Massachusetts area, you know, specifically, but but generally, robotics uh, companies getting together and uh, you know, working together to to further our collective aims. And we're working on a standards uh, working group that deals with that exact problem of how to get robots to communicate, you know, more effectively 
you know, when they might not all have the same concept of a, a you know, map of the world might be different, right? You mm -hmm. know, the robots themselves are very different, obviously. Um, but that's something that we, as, as an industry, robotics, uh, needs to solve to be able to move forward to this future. There's, there's more work to be done in a warehouse than one company is going to be able to do, you know, at least in the near future. Uh, the problems are very hard and, and very, uh, very different, right? Uh, so we, we don't anticipate Vecna Robotics, for example, owning the whole warehouse. Uh, so we need to get past that, uh, you know, sort of ego part and get mm -hmm. to the point where we're actually providing value for customers. So that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, I know I've, I've seen in, in my personal experience working in industrial automation and industrial robotics specifically where that same thing is is a huge challenge, you know, talking controller to controller. Um, the yep. information maps are different. The protocols are different. You know, yep. some robotics vendors use proprietary encoders, you know, all in an effort to protect market share, right? So how do you think that, you know, this kind of new wave of advanced robotics is going to tackle that problem differently or, or do you feel like you might slip into the same uh, trap of trying to protect yourself to uh, everyone's demise? Yeah, uh, there's some things about the two problems that are that are different, um, you know, namely that most of the, the new robotics companies, uh, new startups are, are using sort of modern technologies. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can address some of the challenges around integration, you know, with using common function like rest mm -hmm. uh, in endpoints to, to communicate with each other uh, and and that you know some of those things become easier but there are also some commonalities that I think don't go away you know what you mentioned about the kind of self-preservation instinct uh, for the robotics companies to, to not want to collaborate I think we do see some of that um, but ultimately we, we need to realize that you know we're in the, the point of robotics as an industry where a rising tide is going to lift all the boats and uh, we need to get together and, and figure out you know, how to solve these problems to really make make the, the future that we that we want to build. Absolutely. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit. You mentioned uh, earlier the importance of human robot interaction and, and specifically the uh, UI and uh, presumably UX of, of interacting with those. So you know, something that's interesting to me on that topic is, is, you know, the way humans think and perceive the world is is pretty different from the way that robots think and perceive the world. Um, and, and I feel, you know, we just kind of talked about this, so I'm kind of contradicting myself, but we have a, a good idea of how robots communicate with each other and collaborate with each other. We at least have some control over that, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, maybe it's an even more uh, ridiculous statement to say that we kind of understand how humans uh, communicate with each other because <laughs> that is... Uh, you know, also proving to, to not be true time and time again. But anyways, we, we have at least experience there. What we don't have, you know, deep experience with is, you know, how to orchestrate these workflows between humans and robots that are, that are very different. So um, can you talk about that and, and what are the important uh, pieces uh, to making that, you know, a smooth uh, work, workflow? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and it's a good point. I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you raise a good, a good issue here, which is um, traditionally, you know, robots have been very sort of very focused on precise motion and, and not mm -hmm. really thinking about the world and reasoning on the world like people do. Um, so one step 
that I think is important there is that Vecna's made is to build some of that reasoning into the robot. Uh, so when when our robots think about how to move through the facility, you know, they're not thinking I'm going to drive 70.27 meters forward and then I'm going to turn 135 degrees mm -hmm. and then I move, you know, 17, whatever. Um, they think more like people do about, you know, if I need to get to this pallet, I've got to move through this aisle. I got to stop and stop and honk twice at the at breezeways, and then I'm gonna, you know, take a, a right turn and, and go look for the pallet and find it and pick it up. Uh, right. So when you make that sort of shift, uh, you know, it's hard to do, but when you get that, uh, then you can receive information from people or goals from people a lot more easily. A person can say, "Hey, go get this pallet," and the robot will know how to decompose that into, mm -hmm. you know, eventually it does have to, you know, precisely control the motors and, and whatnot. Um, but there's a system for doing that kind of task decomposition from a high level goal that person can give to, you know, the low level commands that actually get executed. And so that's one piece. Um, and then the second piece is on the user interface and the user experience. Like you said, um, UI and UX uh, takes a lot of work, um, you know, even within the subclass of people, there are a lot of differences that you have to consider, right? Um, different people, it's, it might be intuitive to some people, but not all people. Um, so uh, there's a lot of work to do in that area. Um, and we've explored different options there. Um, you know, typically we have something more like a tablet-based interface, um, you know, which is appropriate for us, but we've also explored with uh, head-mounted displays, um, augmented reality, uh, virtual reality, and uh, we do a lot of web-based uh, UIs as well. So um, yeah, we definitely spend a lot of time thinking about that. Yeah, I think that's a, a more and more important point. You know, again, pulling on my, my experience in the industrial side of the world is uh, a, a huge, huge issue with uh, skilled labor shortage. And yeah. so there's lots of turnover and the training time for traditional interfaces you know, these industrial environments is, is, you know, two to three to four weeks to even understand how this works. So if we can leverage, you know, like you're saying, web-based technology, to improve yep. the UI, UX, use these common uh, user interface elements, then that definitely helps make, make things more seamless. Um, another question that I had is, you know, safety aside, what do you think is the most important piece of technology in enabling collaboration between humans and robots? I mean, is, is it UI like you just said, or is it something different? I think UI is a part of it, but um, really what I think it comes down to is, is trust, um, you know, trust in autonomy, uh, trust in automation. And that's a kind of a complex topic. It's an active research topic you know, mm -hmm. in academia um, and uh, something that, that you know, we work to build uh, with our robots every day, being safe is part of it, but you know, uh, you're not, you shouldn't be seeing, you know, the number of accidents you would need to you know, build statistics to say, here, trust it. Look, uh, you know, you, you should have zero safety incidents. And, and so the way to build trust is, is more nuanced than that. Uh, typically, uh, involves the robot doing things that appear smart or appear right. Uh, you know, enough of the time. So that when people when people observe the robots, you know they understand. You know, okay, I understand how this this machine is going to move. I know it's going to follow the, the rules of the road. You know, I know it's going to you know 
have these these qualities, and I, I trust that it's going to be consistent uh, in, in executing its its work, so that I can work around it and, and, and feel safe and feel comfortable, and you know, treat it as part of the team, you know, a tool that I can help to do my job better, um, but you know, not as like a a nuisance, you know, in their space. Yeah, let's talk about that trust um, a little more for a minute. I mean, is that typically when you see um, you know robotics being introduced into a facility? Is is that trust kind of a journey? Do you do you see some resistance at first? Is that kind of a typical story that you tell? And then how do you engage with uh, you, you know the the people on the floor that are actually going to be working hand in hand to get them feeling more comfortable? Yeah, you know, there there's a wide variety of reactions uh, of, of people when this type of advanced robotics technology comes in. Um, a lot of it, I think, is colored by Hollywood and, and the depiction of robots mm-hmm. in, in, in kind of those big budget movies. Uh, you know, you, you see examples of that, uh, which are kind of funny sometimes, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, walking up to the robot and saying, hey, I need to clear the space, you know, go wait over there by the conveyor belt, you know, and then they look at the robot, for, <laughs> you know, and they realize, oh, you know, Maybe I shouldn't take for granted that this robot can just understand you know, everything I'm trying to convey and, and just do it. Um, you know, that's it's kind of a funny thing, but you know, there are people that have a very high level of trust, uh, a very high expectation for what uh, a robot will be capable of, um, which is really fun to see and, and great to see. Uh, and there are also people that you know come into it with with. Uh, very little trust, and and like you said, it is a journey. You know, for those people, uh, it takes time to build that up. Um, and uh, yeah, so we see you know across the board uh, different reactions. Yeah. So, is there any active role that that you know you feel Vecna has to take, and in, in those situations where there may be a, an issue with trust or a, a challenge with trust, is that you know an effort of training or education, or does it just take time to to get used to these systems? Yeah, no, it, it's definitely a process that we want to be involved in and, and do get involved in. Um, there is some training that we do, obviously, um, <clears throat> for all our customers. Um, but mm-hmm. I think one example that we had was uh, a, in a FedEx facility where we deployed uh, robots that were tugging trains of, of carts. They're carrying packages that were too big to move on the conveyor belts. Uh, so they're, they're non-conveyable mm-hmm. packages would be pulled around by the robots and you know that was a job that was done by people um, and some of those people you know were there working with the robots and and one of them you know first you know was a little bit wary i guess um, but as we talked to to this individual and and explained you know what the robot does and how it works uh, you know something just really clicked uh, and you know we saw that that person uh, just realized oh this is this is a great a tool that we can use uh, to be more effective, I can do this part of the job, and then I can send the packages over, and they'll go where they need to go, and I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can focus on this piece and and really you know be more productive in here. Um, plus, people you know some people especially get excited about technology, mm-hmm. right, and wanting to be involved with it and think it could be, you know, if they learn about it and work with it, you know, that could be part of the their path, their career path mm-hmm. for progression. So. Um, Sometimes it takes a little bit of work, but yeah, Vecna wants to be involved with that. And it's rewarding, you know, honestly, to, to be involved with those people and help them, you know, come uh, to that realization uh, and, and move forward together with the technology. 
Absolutely. So when, when we talk about, you know, optimizing the solution to use the right resource or the right agent, as you put it, um, for the right task at the right time, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, in the, the concept, the concept of orchestration, I'm curious to, uh, to know if you think that the role that robots play is going to change over time so that you know, the orchestration engine over time will give more responsibility to the robots or different responsibility to the robots. Um, how, how do you think that's going to change in the coming years? Yeah, I, I do think there's going to be, you know, shifts in that area as the technology becomes more capable. Uh, you know, right now we're, we're building a system that um, with Pivotal, is determining you know what should be done by which agents and, and, and dividing up the work you know over time as the robotics pieces become more sophisticated there might be new tasks that they're able to do that can be allocated now towards the robots um, you know, new workflows and, and new new uh, advancements in the warehouse are gonna you know keep people busy with new tasks mm -hmm. as well um, but the, there will be a shift uh, as the robots become more developed, um, you know, I, I don't think there's, uh, I, we're, we're a long way off from sort of the general AI or the strong AI where mm -hmm. a robot can do everything that a person can do. And, you know, you just put them in there and they'll get everything done. Uh, you know, this concept of lights out automation, mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, you don't, don't need any people because you just have the robots and they do everything themselves. We're pretty far from that. I won't say that we'll never get to that, uh, you know, someday. Um, but uh, I think we're at least years, decades away from that in, in most practical cases. So l looking at, you know, kind of the, the lowest hanging fruit for innovation, what do you see as like the next big, you know, wave in, in robotics? Uh, if, if it's, it's certainly not, uh, you know, uh, general artificial intelligence or anything like that, then, then what is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're probably a ways off on those pieces, but I think there is a lot of uh, work being done and a lot of good progress on some of the tasks that involve human level dexterity. Um, so like part picking, mm -hmm. each picking, um, you know, that's been something that's, you know, obviously been a focus, it's been a, uh, you know, uh, a big effort from Amazon's picking challenges, uh, you know, which you've probably seen uh, over the years. Uh, you know, the first ones of that were were really sobering <laughs> to see. You know, where robotics is, um, you know, not being able to pick up a, a you know a simple part, you know, right mm -hmm. in front of it. Um, you know, we've come a long way, and there are a lot of startups in that area. I think that, that there's been a lot of progress there. Um, I think it also fits in really nicely with Pivotal. Um, you know, to be able to understand which robots, uh, you know, which which hardware and which software is best suited for which tasks. Um, so that's something we've been looking at is, you know, how do we partner with a bunch of different uh, you know, players in that area and feed them, you know, the right goods for them mm -hmm. to be most effective and feed people the right things for people to be most effective. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm looking forward to a lot of progress happening in that area. Uh, I think we have a lot of shortcomings in sensor technology. Um, so I'm hoping someone will make some, some more breakthroughs there. Um, we've come a long way in terms of cameras uh, and LIDAR, being able to try to mimic the human eyes. Um, but we haven't seen as much uh, you know, of the other senses that people use a lot. 
especially tactile sense mm-hmm. um, that I think uh, I think will make some some plays for some pretty big breakthroughs in that area. I think you know on the software side, I, I'm sure that you would agree. Um, you know, AI and machine learning algorithms are for sure going to uh, continue to improve and. I think that's where we'll see a lot of improvement on the software side. Something that is yeah. a particular curiosity to, curiosity to me, and you mentioned this earlier that this is a, a question academia is asking, but when we look at the, the safety and robustness of these systems that, um, you know, may, I, I would say, I, don't, I think there are people that would disagree with this statement, but that, you know, we don't really understand why they're doing the things that they're doing. Like that's kind of inherent in, you know, machine learning algorithm. Um, is that something that we should be concerned about or... Um, do you think there are, are methodologies to uh, ensure the robustness of these systems? I think the short answer is yes. That is something that, that we should be worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when Vector Robotics looks at AI and machine learning, you know, what we have done is you know find the right kind of bookends for that technology. Um, you know, which which problem specifically are you trying to solve? Um, you know, deep learning is great at solving like a pedestrian detection in a camera image mm-hmm. sort of problem, right? Um, and you know that might you know feed in to make you, you know, make your motion planning slightly different when you see that pedestrian there. Um, but we're not using machine learning for our safety approach. Um, you know, those are kind of completely separate uh, for us. And, and companies that don't make that strong distinction, um, you know, when when the AI is like right at the wheel, you know, making all the decisions, mm-hmm. um, that's a little bit terrifying to me mm-hmm. <laughs> as someone in this space. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so yes, I think it's it's healthy and and correct to be worried or anxious about you know how we apply machine learning and AI, uh, especially for safety critical applications. Yeah. So as a as a follow up question to that, then. Um, and I think I, I may be able to guess your answer based on what you just said, but you know, what do you think the balance is between risk consciousness and safety and the advancement of technology? Yeah. I mean, for us, um, it's not a balance. Uh, you know, there's not a, a trade, a trade space where you're okay. Mm-hmm. Let's be a little bit more risky, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and achieve this slightly higher performance. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not a place for advancement in technology. Um, you know, it just means that you know you understand your risk uh, kind of envelope uh, as well as you can, and you stay inside uh, you know that that safe area, and you do as much as you can with the technology to push performance, you know, without sacrificing uh, the safety part. And you know, that's that's how we've approached it at least. Yeah, I think that's the the right approach if you were to ask me, but I know there's certainly people out there that disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, deep learning has created some really amazing breakthroughs in terms of performance, mm-hmm. uh, right? On all the benchmarks, um, you know, we, we saw uh, those metrics all, you know, increasing dramatically as more and more the deep learning approaches got, got applied. Uh, I mean, machine learning has been around for a long time, obviously, um, but... To date, there hasn't been any kind of um, proof by construction or mm-hmm. formal verification uh, system for those deep learning models or, or most other machine learning models. So, um, 
for me, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's some very smart people thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of money probably flowing in from the DOD uh, to mm-hmm. try to solve those problems. Um, so I'll wait for some, some more advancements in the theory there. Uh, but for now, you know, we have to be very judicious about how we apply that technology to make sure that you know, we're doing it in a safe way. Absolutely. So what are you most excited about um, for the future of automated material handling or the hybrid fulfillment systems or orchestration? What, uh, what has you excited right now? Yeah, for me, it's um, data, uh, big data um, specifically. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, the kind of parallel between the com- computer industry and the robotics industry. Um, mm-hmm. The computer industry has already made this transition. You know, uh, they've already advanced past the stage where software was the, the focus uh, to being focused on data, right? So companies like Google and Amazon, um, you know, their focus is how can they collect the most data and how can they, you know, leverage that data uh, to become kind of more useful and or more kind of entrained into your life, um, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> um, so for robotics, we haven't made that jump yet, right? Um, we're, we're still kind of in the software stage, but for me, um, thinking about the future of automation is, is the amount of data that we're collecting now. Um, and as we scale up our operations, the, the amount of data, the data that we'll be able to collect um, is going to allow us to, to do some, some pretty incredible things, I think, um, make improvements over time, uh, be able to address more of the market um, and um, make, you know, make some, some big changes to how productive our supply chain can be um, really maximize the potential uh, for, for performance in that area. So that's kind of what I'm excited about. Excellent. Well, uh, I think this is a, a good place to wrap up our, our conversation on a positive note. Um, yeah. This was uh, really fun. Thank you, Zach, for, for joining. I enjoyed learning uh, about Vecna more and uh, some of the stuff you're working on. So that's really exciting. If, if there's anybody out there that's interested in learning some more about Vecna or Pivotal, uh, is there a, a good channel for them to do that? Yeah, they can go to our, our website. <clears throat> it's um, www.beckmanrobotics.com. And um, yeah, it's a really exciting field. I would encourage anybody with the skills and, and interests to uh, come join us. Excellent. Thanks, Zach, again for, for joining for the conversation. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, we have some amazing episodes lined up for the future. Um, There's going to be more discussions uh, with thought leaders in automation, robotics, AI, and IoT. So you definitely want to keep an eye out for those episodes. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to the podcast. Um, So you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to check out the YouTube channel by searching This Is Automation in YouTube. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please let us know by leaving a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on This Is Automation. 